This episode is brought to you by Dunnings, your local distributor of quality fuels and lubricants throughout Western Australia. Dunnings Fuel operate their fleet of trucks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and on a daily basis have trucks operating in the whole state. Dunnings keeps the whole state running. Find out more at dunningsfuel.com.au Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Living so far from town is often one of the perks that draws people to work on a cattle station. When you live out bush, you can enjoy wide open spaces and often your neighbours are kilometres away. But what about when you need services which are only provided in town, like access to a hospital? In this episode, I sit down with Jodie Grant to discuss her experience not only fighting cancer while living on a cattle station, but the challenges of getting a diagnosis in the first place and how living remotely impacted her experience. I started by asking Jodie when she started to feel ill. It was Sunday morning, I woke up and I couldn't get up out of bed at all. I had really, really strong abdominal pain. And I got jazzed to go and get Dusty to help me out of bed and ultimately into the car and we just went straight down to the hospital. Um, it Once I got there, they had me there for a little while but they didn't scan or anything. They just sort of felt my tummy and um, said that it would be muscular pain um, and it gave me pain relief and sent me home. They suggested that I get a scan um, at a later date um, and said it can take, you know, three weeks to get an appointment with a GP for the referral. So I asked if they could do the referral there so I could go in on the Tuesday morning because it was a long weekend um, and get the scan done straight away because the pain hadn't resolved at that point. And they said that they couldn't do it, that I needed to wait the two, three weeks to get into the GP Um to get the referral and then wait for the appointment for the scan um, as everyone else would have to. So we were driving home. We got about halfway home. I started vomiting. Um, I had diarrhoea. I was literally on the side of the road in the dirt, um, throwing up, holding onto my tummy. Um, Then we got back in the car. We kept driving, got all the way home. That was in the afternoon. I stayed at home just in bed all night. The next morning I was still vomiting, I still had diarrhea and I still had the pain. Um, Dusty's kind of like, well, I don't know, they just sent you home yesterday, I don't know whether it's worth going back in or not, but I suppose we need to. Uh, So I went in, my stepson actually drove me in, 
And they kind of looked at me and they're like, oh, so now you've got gastro. Um, they said, okay, we'll see you and we'll do a scan only because you've come back. Um, which we'll see that everything's okay and we'll send you home again. Um, so that was like the initial part. So then they scanned from there, yeah. So once they'd done the scan, they got the results. Took them ages. I could hear them organising a plane, but I didn't know who for. Uh, and then the doctor come in and said, we've seen some stuff. You need to go up to a specialist. Um, from what we can see, there's cancer in two parts of your body, but it could be elsewhere. Um, and the plane's on its way. Pretty much. And so that was in Catherine. Yep. And they were wanting to send you to Darwin. Yep. Sorry, I've got goosebumps just listening to that. And also just the rage that's, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. But, um, what happened once you were, so you're flying to Darwin pretty much. So that day on this, on the Monday then, was it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So we just had to wait for the plane to get here from Darwin. Yeah. So what happened when you got to Darwin? Um, so when I got to Darwin, then I saw, Specialists, so they originally found cancer in my uterus and cancer in my liver. Um, so I dealt mostly with a gynecologist at that point. Um, and they just started investigating because they didn't feel that that was the primary cancer. So they had to investigate to see where it had spread from. And so how do they investigate? Is that just more tests? Uh, they started the, some investigations. I had a colonoscopy. Um, and they done scans like ultrasounds and mammograms and, um, all that kind of stuff to see if there was anything else. Uh, when they done the colonoscopy, they found that there was a cancer, which they later discovered was the primary cancer that was pretty much completely blocking my bowel. So they couldn't get the camera, which is quite small past the cancer, um, so they were then talking about surgery, but they decided to send me home at that point while they were deciding on what to do. Um, Dusty, for some reason, was really apprehensive because he said, what was the complications? I said, well, because your bowel's blocked, it could perforate um, or you could have internal bleeding, uh, but we think it'd be okay for you to go home, come back Monday and we'll discuss our plan once we've had a, a team meeting with all the, the oncologists, the surgeons and everybody. So you, you first go in on the Sunday, you get sent home, you come back on the Monday, that's when they fly you up to Darwin. Yep. And then are you there for a couple of days? I was there for a couple of weeks, I think, while they were doing the first lot of testing. Can't really remember. Yeah. Then they um, sent you home. Then they sent me home for them to do, like, their group team meeting. Um, they were getting a bit frustrated because Dusty really just wanted to leave me there, but they were like, no, you're right to go home. You're taking up a bed. Rah, rah, rah. And I was home for not, a, not quite 24 hours and I started vomiting again. Um, I had I went to have a shower. I was like, I'll just go have a shower. And I had tummy pain. In the shower, I kept vomiting. Then I, like, bent over. I couldn't stand up. So I was laying on the shower floor. Dusty and our govy at the time got me dressed and put me back in the car. And we went back to Catherine Emergency. They done a scan there and they found out that I was bleeding internally. 
Uh, and then I got flown up into emergency surgery the second time I was there. Dusty drove up and I flew up. I was in the emergency department for maybe 10 minutes. They hadn't even filled in my paperwork and then they were taking me down to theatre. Uh, quickly got stuff organised. They handed me a phone. They said, if there's any more bleeding, I won't come out of surgery. So here's five minutes to call Dusty and say goodbye just in case. Um, and then I went straight into surgery. So I called Dusty and I was kind of, he was a bit cranky. I was kind of like, oh. they told me I might not come out. So to say, see ya. What do you remember about going into surgery and coming out? You, how long was your surgery? Um, I went in at 10, well, around 10 o'clock in the morning, I think, and come out. Well, I remember, wait, like being conscious at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Um, so they did say it would be a long surgery. So in the surgery, they did a hysterectomy. They done a bowel resection and they also done a colostomy. Um, so that there was no interruption in bowel movements and things like that um, at the same time. So there was three different specialists and I believe the for the bowel resection there was somebody from Adelaide that was on like a TV screen telling them what to do because of COVID. Um, surgeons couldn't fly up. So, yeah, I just imagine him sort of going, I'll oh, cut that. No, not that one. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I said the red wire, not the black <laughs> wire. Um, what – I can't even imagine, you know, how did you feel going in? And, you know, it all happened so quickly, but especially when they hand you that phone and say, make this phone call, like what goes through your mind? Um, how do you stay calm? I like to think I'm pretty positive and being pretty positive through the whole thing. I just kind of didn't really entertain that idea. I just kind of went, okay. And we'll just see, like, once you're out, you're out. You don't know what goes on then. And just kind of figured, well, if I wake up, I wake up. And if I don't, I don't. <laughs> There's not much you can do at that point. No, and I think that's something that will probably come up throughout this conversation is the way you've approached this whole – I say this every time, I hate the word journey, but this whole experience, this whole saga, whatever you want to call it, is your attitude has been incredible and I think that's a huge part of – well, I guess I don't want to give the give the news away at the yeah. end. Um, but at this point in time, so uh, if people may remember, if they've listened to the previous episode with you and Dusty, you're out in Florina Station, which is 80 k's out of Catherine. So relatively speaking for a cattle station, you're pretty close to town, but yep. it's still – and I think while you guys have always been grateful that you have this short distance to town, especially during a time like this, it certainly helped, you know – because you – so while you're in Darwin, Dusty's having to drive back and forth from the station and then later on as we talk about your treatments, you have to drive in and out of Catherine. And I think for anybody having to drive just, well, 160K round trip for chemo is hard enough, but thank Christ you guys weren't out somewhere. Like when I first met you, um, we were in the gold Northern Goldfields of WA and we were – so like twelve hours from Perth or something, you know, yeah. or was it was eight eight hours oh. to Geraldton. Yeah, well, it was fifteen hundred k's to Perth but and Geraldton. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's fair distance. Yeah. yeah, and even a fair ways to Kalgoorlie. So I'm not sure where you could have gone for your treatments there. But either way, it's you know it, it could have been certainly further out. So 
yeah, so you come out of surgery, Dusty's there. How talk me through like what's happening? You've you've got your kids at home with a govy. It's May, so it's dry season, cattle mustering time. You know, you guys manage your property, but then you're hours and hours away from home, you know, and Dusty as well. Like, you know, you're trying to think I'm sure he's probably thinking like got kids, I've got cattle, I've got contractors, but I need to be up here with my wife. Like, it's all going on. Yeah, there was certainly a lot happening at the time and Dusty spent a lot of time driving back and forth, but he did spend a lot of time in Darwin. Um, I guess that's where he had to put rely a bit on the people that were at home. So we have a station hand and we had the govy. Um, Maddie, our govy, turned into you know, a Garvey slash station hand slash cook kind of thing and took the kids with her. Um, and Jake certainly took up a lot of extra work around the station. Um, everybody just seemed to automatically take on different roles um, because I guess it was a time of need and and they just knew it wasn't the very first morning that I time I was flown out, I'd said to the kids, I'll see you tonight expecting to come back home and then I just didn't come home. So that wasn't kind of a bit out of my control. Like I felt out of control on that side of things because there was nothing I could really do about it. How long was it after your surgery that you did get to come home? Um, I was in hospital for a total of two months. Um, Before you got to come back to the station. Yep. So I I came home for that 24-hour period. Um, But other than that 24-hour period, from saying see you tonight to the kids, I came home two months later. And yeah. how long was it until you got to see the kids, until they could come up to Darwin? Uh, I saw them Mother's Day, which was shortly after I went up to Darwin, and then our cars with back seats all broke down. So we only had two-seater utes, uh, so I didn't see them again until um, I got home, but we FaceTimed. Um, and the kids, Willow particularly, would ask me to prove that I was in hospital and I'd have to show her the curtains and the beds because she thought I was on a holiday. <laughs> oh, kids, bless them. Well, I mean, but also that could possibly be a coping mechanism that, well, I'd rather think my mum's off on holiday somewhere than in the hospital, you know, yeah. that. Yeah, potentially. When I got back, the first thing she said was, I'm sure you were on a ho- you just wanted a holiday without us, mum, so you went on holidays. Oh, bless. So that just... Yeah, you leave to go into town thinking you'll be back that night and you don't come home for two months. You've obviously not packed your bag or got things you need or done, you know, probably like a really big goodbye to the kids because you're like, I'm just popping into town, be back in a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah, so when I was first flown up, I had nothing but Dusty bought stuff up, obviously, um, but we never anticipated it was going to be a two-month period. We thought that I would go up for a day, see the specialist or a couple of days, whatever, and come back. Um, thankfully, we also know some people in Darwin who were fantastic as well and they went to shops and bought things as I needed them and um, and because Dusty was driving back and forth, he took clothes home to wash and brought clothes back and, and vice versa, yeah. You're a very active person. On the station, you manage, I suppose, all like the office and the bookwork side of things. You also run the kitchen like when there's contractors here, you're looking after people, making up rooms, and then you've got your general homestead duties, you've got children, um, uh, you know, horses, dogs, everything here. Like you're a very busy person. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a bed, you know, five hours away from home. 
and knowing that all these things are still going on and needing to be done and you're just there, how do you, you know, but also just being a busy person, how do you fill in the time and again, look, look after your mental health, I suppose, just being stuck there? Uh, to be honest, it sounds a bit lazy. I pretty much slept, but that's kind of my coping mechanism. If I'm upset or angry or something doesn't go my way, I go to sleep. Um, which I told the nurses later and they're like, that's why you sleep all the time. <laughs> well, your body had also been through immense trauma, like massive, massive changes and probably been fighting this disease for so long before anybody picked up on it. So I think that also is fair that you, your body is recovering. But, yeah, also a good psychological technique of just shutting shutting down essentially. Yeah, well, I can – I've always been a really good sleeper, but there's things on my mind that I don't really want to think about or whatever. I just go to sleep because then when I'm asleep, I, I'm a really active dreamer too and I have really nice dreams. Oh, so, that's good. <laughs> I gather when I dreamt when I was in hospital, you know, I didn't have cancer. I wasn't in hospital. I was, you know, it's kind of different. So that's my, what I do. If I'm upset, I go to sleep. <laughs> Now, I know at some point I remember seeing you, you were very positive with your Facebook posts and keeping people up to date, but also very, very realistic. But I remember at one point you telling me about, um, like you, you got, I think somebody bought up your laptop and you were doing office work out of the hospital. Is that right? Yep. So how long do you wait? You know, I just can't, you know, wrap my mind around it. You've flown up emergency surgery. Your body's just been through absolute hell. And then at some point you're like, Oh, well, I better get back to the bookwork, you know, like <laughs> things are still going on, you know. <laughs> well, at what point did that happen and what made you want to do that? Um, well, it was kind of like, I don't know, it was just I'm used to it. That's part of my life and it just gave me something to do. But then when I did, the owners of the station are really good. And when I did send them an email, they sent me a message back saying that I shouldn't be working and to just rest and get better. So it didn't last once I started emailing invoices and stuff directly to them and put in Jody, so then I'd have to change it. I'd have to put Dusty <laughs> so that they couldn't. Um, but in saying that, Dusty did do a lot of lot of stuff for that too. Um, but, yeah, if I did need to s- send something, I would just bib who it was because they kept telling me off. <laughs> That's really lovely um, that, especially because your, your owners are overseas and that, yeah, to have that support and for, for them to say, you know, you need to be resting Rather, yeah. rather than, you know, because I suppose it could be quite easy to have a breakdown in communication or, or, you know, just, I mean, sometimes people get, they luck out and have not very nice people to work for and aren't given that support. So I was worried at first because obviously such an extended period of time and trying to work out how much holiday and everything that I would have booked up, but they've been fantastic. And when we first took the job, they said that they take something if we treat them right they take us on as part of their family as opposed to staff and that's how it has been through this whole thing they've been more concerned about my health as opposed to the work um which is nice yeah yeah that's really lovely you said you got to facetime the kids every day how important you know if this had happened 20 years ago you know we didn't have that how important was that technology yeah, and, and also just being able to see the kids versus just picking up a telephone and hearing them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, They really enjoyed it too and they loved telling me what they'd been doing and I think because it had broken their routine up a bit too. 
they were quite excited about a lot of the stuff that they were getting to do. Um, and they could share that with me and show me what they were doing and um, vice versa. Right? Not that I was doing anything exciting, but I could show them where I was and, um, you know, they wanted to see when there was tubes and, you know, drips and things. They wanted to look at it and see what it was and ask questions, which is good for them to understand what's going on. Aside from having to face your own mortality, how did you, like you must have been worried about the kids and the impact this was going to have on them. How did you notice what sort of impact do you think it had on the kids and how did you, and then, you know, you can only manage that via FaceTime from, you know, 500 k's away. I was definitely paying attention to how the kids were, um, I guess, talking to me and how they looked. Um, but to be honest, they didn't seem too affected, like, by any of it. Um, later on, Willow, Willow's very much a thinker. Jazz kind of just takes things as they are and you tell her what it is and she's like, oh, okay. Um, whereas Willow asks lots of questions um, and wants to know the hows and whys. Um, so we tried to go into more detail, but the questions didn't really come until I came home. Um, while I was away, I think it was all a bit surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like coming home? Were you, I mean, I'm sure you were excited to come home, but did you feel nervous at leaving the hospital and knowing that you would be so far away from help if something were to happen again? Or were you just like, nah, get me the hell out of here. I want to go home. No, nah, I was pretty keen to go home. <laughs> I would have went home earlier if that would have let me, but yeah, it was just, yeah, you take it as it is, I guess. And, um, yeah, I was keen. When I came home, we had a contract mustering crew. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, we did. Um, and we had a cook sort of um, employed. So normally I would be the cook. Um, so it was a bit weird because my routine was different. Normally I'd be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I'd be doing breakfast for everyone. And I was trying to do things, but people would keep sending me away. So in in a really nice way, but um, I wanted to be helpful. I felt really useless not doing stuff. So I would come in and I'd be like, oh, I can make something for, you know, smoke or whatever. And and our lovely, lovely contractor that was cooking for us, Jamie, was um, like, no, go sit on the couch. And I'm like, well, I can only sit on the couch for so long. <laughs> um, slowly I started to convince people that, you know, I was still capable <laughs> and that I could start to do um, little bits and pieces. But, yeah, it was obviously after ha- having surgery and stuff, I wasn't quite fitness-wise and, you know, being able to move around as well as I could. Um, probably the biggest hurdle was they put a two-kilo lifting limit. I couldn't lift anything over two kilos, which was ridiculous. <laughs> And I couldn't do much at all. <laughs> um, and I hated asking people to um, move something for me or lift something for me. Um, and even like doing the horses, even the horse feed buckets, Dusty's like would weigh once they're full and damp and wet. He's like, you can't even lift them. I'm like, well, the horses need to be fed. So I had to rely a lot on other people to make sure things were done or not make sure, but to have things done, which I would normally do. Yeah. How did you must have just been so frustrated? Like or, or you know how did, how did you feel? I 
I don't know. If you ask, I was probably getting angry at people at, at times because they were like, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. Um, when you think about it, things like lifting two kilos, that's not a big thing. Like the kids want to ride horses. No, you can't lift the saddle to put it on the horse. Um, so I felt like I had to rely on people and get people to do every little thing for me. Um, which was hard. And sometimes if they weren't looking, I would, I would just do it. But, you know, um, people got angry then. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's hard when you, you used to being active and then all of a sudden you've got to ask people to do all these jobs for you. When you left the hospital to come home, had they already sort of set up a treatment plan? Yep. So the plan was then to go with chemotherapy. So they had operated on on my bowel and they had removed my uterus, so that was gone. Um, but they couldn't operate on my liver um, with the size. It was taking up three quarters of my liver and where it was located they couldn't cut that out. Um, so the plan was to try chemotherapy. They didn't know whether how successful it would be. They said, we'll try it. If it gets smaller, then we may be able to operate. If it becomes operable, it, the cancer ultimately might be treatable. If it stays the same or gets bigger while on chemo, then it will be terminal cancer. Um, and then they said, then it just depends on the rate that it grows or spreads um, to how long. They said you can have terminal cancer for two months, you can have terminal cancer for 10 years because um, you can do ongoing chemo and stuff to try to slow the rate that it grows. Um, but they wouldn't know until they saw the response that it had. So you've got no certainty at all about your future as to whether or not this is a life sentence or just something th- that you've got to kick its ass. You've got no... They, Not they really. They couldn't really tell you one way or the other way. You know, you had to. It was like a wait and see. Yeah, not really. Not at that point. And even once you start chemo, they don't do any scans until at least three months in. So I had three months before they could see if it was having an effect. So our plan was the best outcome was that we do at least three months of chemo. Um, hopefully it shrank by that point and then we'd operate and then I'd need to do a follow-up three months of chemo or if it had shrunk but not to a suitable level for them, I would then do the full six months of chemo if it looked like it was shrinking, we'd keep going with the three months and then do the operation after. But either way, they wanted six months of chemotherapy and an operation would be the best outcome. You've been lucky that you are able to undergo chemotherapy in Catherine, which is about 80 Ks from the station. Yep. How does that work? You know, how many times, how often do you have to go into town for that? How long does it take? You know, what, what was that like? Um, so my very initial first treatment of chemotherapy, I had to go up to Darwin for, but that was just to check if there was any reactions and stuff because their facilities are better there. Um, just for the day and then I could come back home. So you did that in a day trip? Yes. So you drove four and a bit, maybe five hours to Darwin. Oh, I think we drove up the night before. Night Dusty before. Drove, and then we oh, dro- I guess you had Dusty with you. Yeah. And yeah. then we drove home that afternoon. Yeah. 
Um, it's a huge day. Yeah. After, that's a huge drive after you've had a day of poison being pumped through your body. Yeah, I think I probably just slept on the way home. <laughs> and then because the chemotherapy, so I'm sitting in a room for, for the day with IV drug drugs going into me and then they attach a bottle that goes through IV and that stays on me for 46 hours and then they remove the IV and then that, that drug circulates through you for the next two weeks, roughly, just under two weeks. Um, so I had the treatment up in Darwin, then we drove home and they removed the IV bottle in Catherine and then I started having it in Catherine. So uh, chemo is you go in, I know I was able to go with you a few times, you'd go in on like a Wednesday and stay there pretty much all day, Yep, like like eight hours while you've got something pumping through you. Then they put a bag on you, you come back home to the station and you've got to be back in town 46 hours later to have the bag removed. Yep, and I have a blood test the Monday before. Monday the same before, week. so it's... So and then so the chemo treatments are once a fortnight, but that those so on those alternating weeks you have to go in and out of town three times. Yep, that's correct. So that's 160k round trip three times. So it's that um, 408. So it's almost 500k's for chemo within within five days. Yeah, as you said, we're lucky that we're only 80k's, only 80Ks, out. 80Ks <laughs> out of town. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you were any further out, you'd probably have to come in and just stay for the week. Well, but then you know, and I'm I'm sure there's other people that have had to face that. We did have a a woman who's actually done a short story episode on the podcast um, and written a story for us, and she was six hours from Townsville, and I think she ended up leaving the station for almost six or seven months by the time she got home when she for her leukemia treatment or maybe it was longer um so yeah if you'd been any further out you probably would have had to come in and and stay yeah and i don't know if they have accommodation options in catherine or if you would have had to go up to darwin or somewhere you know how they can have like the ronald mcdonald housing or the you know certain organizations have you know those kind of support services but yeah i don't know if they have it in catherine but they do offer help with accommodation up in darwin yeah yeah and that so that's huge and you were very naughty girl, driving yourself in and out because, like we said, it's the middle of the dry season, mustering, you've got everything else going on. Um, So you're going into town and, again, having to keep yourself busy or occupied while you're sitting in a chair for eight hours and then coming home. What what were those days of chemo like? Um, Different. (laughs) It can... It's pretty boring, but I would take take stuff with me to try and keep me entertained. I'd done lots of online shopping um, on chemo days and spent lots of money. Um, yeah, and then I would – so I would drive myself in and then I would have the chemo. And once it had finished, it was okay while it was going through, but once it finished, it's hard to explain. I guess you kind of felt like a bit drunk, I suppose, a bit not walking straight, kind of dizzy type feeling. Um, so then I would, obviously I wasn't going to drive, so I would sit under a tree for half an hour or an hour, depending, until I felt that I could drive without the police pulling me over thinking I was drunk. Um, cause I did ask the nurses and they did say you could drive, um, as long as you're okay. Um, there was no reason that you couldn't if you felt 
felt okay. So mm-hmm. we just ran with that and we did, we were in the middle, we had a mustering crew and, and Dusty kind of needed to be there to, to make sure all that happened. So after you have your chemo bag taken off on the Friday, so Monday, blood test, Wednesday, sitting in the chair, IV treatment, bags attached, and then bags removed on the Friday, what you don't have treatment again for another two weeks, but you did, you said that the, the chemical in that bag is still kind of coursing through your veins over the next two weeks. How do you, how do you feel over, over that period of time? Um, so the chemo sort of goes in your body as a cycle. So even when you first have it, the first day or so, you feel okay, a bit, bit dizzy, bit funny, but not sick as such. Um, and then as it starts to take effect day, well, for me, they said it's different for everyone. For me, it was day five or six. You know, you have like a, a low point as it's, and that's when your immune cells and everything in your body is, is really hitting its lowest and, the, I guess, essentially poison is really taking effect on your good cells as well as your bad cells. Um, and then as it's, then it starts to come up again and then you start to feel better. So it goes into a cycle. And then when you feel better, that's when they do your blood test again and check that everything's come back up. And then they do the chemotherapy again and it comes back down again. So it's kind of an up down. Does that make sense? Yeah, but, but, you know, if you're just starting to feel better again once you get your blood test, so you're almost spending more time feeling crap than you are feeling good. Yeah, really. essentially, yeah. Um, and at this point in time, I know at some point last year you were um, you went back to your station duties of all the office stuff, of all the animals, the kids, cooking. You know, how do you – I mean, I remember there were days you came home from chemo and then you cooked dinner that night. Like, yeah, you um, crazy lady, but <laughs> you do what you got to do, I guess. And even if I didn't, most days I would have a, a nap in the middle of the day. Um, and some days there were days where I just felt really sick and I'm like, I'm just not functioning. Um, and I kind of refused to. Um, and then there were other side effects too. Like there were some major skin, um, side effects, um, my, there was days when my lips were bleeding and I'd wake up and I couldn't open them because I was stuck together. Um, there were days that my eyes were swollen and I couldn't open them because they were closed and, and really funny looking, like just, yeah, that was really weird. Um, and even those things, even though it's not, they only sound like small things, they, they really felt like quite big, big things. I wasn't supposed to go in the sun which is hard in the Northern Territory. <laughs> um, and that was with the skin reaction. So my face always felt like it was burning um, because every time I was outside or in the sun, I live on a cattle station in the Northern Territory and they're telling me not to go outside, not to get dirty and not to go in the sun. It's kind of hard. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten about that until you just mentioned it because you, your face is quite healed now. Like, And I, I guess – you know, it's, but I remember, yeah, you had like your lips were so red and raw for months, like last year and your, and your skin, it was almost like a, you know, you think you'd had some kind of dermatological, yep. you know, something, you know, um, what do they call? Oh, 
eczema or something, you know, like, you know, when you see people, but you know, it it was really bad and looked really sore and you're actually looking really good now. (laughs) I just, yeah, I just forgotten about that. And, and so where, where are you in your chemo cycle now? Are you still undergoing treatment or, you know, how much do you have left? I am. So we had, I had the three months and then they done the scan, um, which had showed that the the cancer in the liver had shrunk um, from like three quarters to a tiny little patch at the bottom of my liver, um, which was beyond what the doctors expected. Um, so that was pretty easy. They decided that they would operate on that, which was fantastic. So I had to have a few weeks off of chemotherapy um, because that affects your healing uh, before surgery. Um, and they done the liver resection. Um, but I was only up in Darwin for five days. I was pretty determined to come home um, and came back home and then they started the next three months of chemotherapy, um, which is like what they call a mop-up mop up chemo. So there's always a chance that when they stop the chemo that this may come back. We don't know. It may come back straight away. It may come back in 10 years. Um you don't cure it as such. It's always going to be, I'm always going to have cancer, but it just depends when when it comes back. And the mop-up chemo is there to try to reduce um, it from coming back straight away, basically. How long until you finish treatment? I have two more rounds. Wow. So we're nearly there. <laughs> yeah. So if all goes well, about a month. Because as, well, you've had a few setbacks. So like you said, you come in on the Monday for the blood test. And if your immune system is not up to par, they push back chemo, they push everything back by a week, don't they? Or is it, or do they push it back by a fortnight? Uh, by a week and then they'll do another blood, blood test. test. So yeah. And there, there have been times that you've gone in and they've they've pushed it back, haven't they? Yeah, um, particularly more so recently. So the chemo, it gets worse and has more of an effect the longer it goes on because it builds up um, toxins in your body over time. Um, so now my white blood cells are going down to nothing, to be below nothing. Um, so that's what they call being neutropenic. Um, and I have no immune system. Um, so it took three weeks last time between the chemo for my white blood cells that were talking about doing transfusions and things if it hadn't come back up. Um, but it did. So we've done that one and I'm due for another blood test on Monday. Um, to see if it has the same effect or not. Now, I think there's something really important um, to, that we should discuss before wrapping up this episode. While, you know, we started off at the beginning of the episode that you were feeling discomfort and pain and that's when you went into hospital, you know, um, but that's, you know, it, it sounds from the beginning and how we've told the story that this all came on very suddenly and that it was, you know, it came out of nowhere but that's not the case. Tell me about and explain to our listeners about how long you had felt something was wrong and how long you had to fight to get the medical system to recognise and diagnose what was wrong with you. Um, so I had started having what I now know, I guess, was symptoms about three years prior. Um, I had unexplained abdominal pain Um quite severe abdominal pain. I used to, I had been to the emergency department. We were living in Alice Springs at that point. 
um, multiple times. And when they'd ask what the pain was like, I would describe it similar to labour pain um, because it also came in waves. Like it would come, it would be really intense and strong, and then it would lessen and then it would come again. Um, and then it would go away and it would go away for weeks, you know, sometimes a month or more, and it would come back. Um, they kept telling me that it, I probably pulled a muscle um, and I think because it was kind of coming and going, they sort of put it down and abdominal pain is a very, very broad um, thing. But I had asked for scans um, and they said no, that they couldn't scan for no legitimate reason and that I just have pulled a muscle. I went into the Alice Springs Hospital I don't know, probably at least six or seven times, but in between I would I would still have the episodes, but I wouldn't go in because last time I was just sent home, so I'd just lay in bed. Um, I was also putting on a significant amount of weight at that point, but all in my tummy, but I'd also just had my third child not long uh, before, so I just thought that because I'd had kids, I was putting weight on and eating too much McDonald's, to be honest. Um. We then moved up to Catherine um, and I continually still kept presenting at ER to be told the same thing, that it would be muscular and to give me to go home and take Panadol. At one point I was in holidays in Melbourne, it came on, I went to a GP there because in Catherine and Alice Springs I could never get a GP straight away but in Melbourne I could uh, while I was having the pains and he also told me the same thing. Um, so in the end, I stopped going into the hospital. I just stayed at home. And then I had discussed with Dusty that I was concerned. I'd never dreamt that it'd be cancer, but it was something more serious and we wouldn't know until it was too late. And even though we are only 80 Ks from town, it's still a significant way to drive in in an emergency. And then chances are I would then have to go to Darwin from Catherine. So there's a significant delay in treatment treatment um but i guess i was thinking more along the lines of things like things rupturing like appendicitis or or things like that um as opposed to cancer and sorry um but then i went to so once we discussed this i went to a gp in catherine uh when i didn't have the pain and explained and he was thinking it was maybe my gallbladder so he done a scan an ultrasound and at that point, they said they saw changes in my liver and to go and have a CT scan, which I had. And then they looked at the scan and they said that there is something in my liver, but it's completely benign. It was later in Darwin they told me that that was cancerous at that time. And that was six months prior to me representing at the hospital. So they had technically seen it, um, but they had told me it was definitely benign and it wasn't cancerous. How do you feel looking back on all those experiences? As you kind of um, showed us earlier, you're a very positive, forward-thinking person. I can only imagine it would be so easy to look back at that and just feel so much resentment towards the medical system and the people who misdiagnosed you and read your scans wrong and just, you know, shuffled you from here to there and kept sending you home. But I have a feeling that's not how you... Um, 
No, not really. It's made me very aware to know, to trust yourself and especially if you, you or your family members think there's something wrong to try and push, whereas before I, I wouldn't, like we would say, okay, the doctors have said it's okay, it must be okay. Um, but I think if you know something's not right, um, you really need to push for it. As I said, I didn't know that I was having symptoms at the time, but I was getting really tired all of a sudden. Um, I was getting really out of breath. Um, the weight gain alone I'd put on, by the time I went in for surgery, I'd put on 30 kilos, which was all in my tummy. When they operated, I was 30 kilos lighter. It was all fluid and, and tumor and cancer, all that weight. So I think I overlooked a lot of stuff as well. Like I knew things weren't right. I could drive for hours previously where I was getting tired driving into town. Yeah, but when you've got professionals continuously telling you it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing, you know, it's it's also fair enough that you're trusting their opinion. You know, yeah. they're the doctor. Yeah, and that's why in the end I ended up just laying in bed. Sometimes I was laying on the kitchen floor. Um and just holding my stomach, but I kind of started to think that I was going crazy and that it was in my head. Like I'm pretty tolerant pain-wise, generally speaking, and all of a sudden I thought, gosh, I must be really painful to be around because I'm carrying on about something that is really minor um, because that's the way I, I was made to feel um, because I didn't realise it was, yeah, that it wasn't because the doctor said it was fine. So, yeah, for anyone listening, if you feel that there's something not right with um, your own health or, or a loved one's health, um, really do push um, to have it investigated because it doesn't hurt to have a scan or a blood test and find out that everything's okay. But if you leave it, it could turn into something that could have been easily treated but is now a much bigger issue, which is what's happened with us. As Jodie's kids were in between School of the Air lessons while we recorded this podcast, I asked them if they'd like to send a message to their mum. Hi, Jazz. Hi. How old are you, Jazz? Nine. Nine years old. And what grade are you in? <laughs> Year three. Year three. And how? what school do you go to? KT School of the Air. Yeah, so Catherine School of the Air. And I thought maybe you might be able to tell me a little bit about what it was like for you last year when your mum went away for a long time. Um, it was weird every night in here because it wasn't in my bed with mum. Yeah, because you sleep pretty close to mum? Um, well, our bedroom is out the back, so we're just like the next room for mum. And what was it like being able to see mum on FaceTime? different because she had all those things near her and it was really weird. Yeah? Yeah. And did you miss mum a lot? You know, you didn't get to see mum for a long time, did you? Mm, no, except for when we went up to Darwin to see her. Yeah. And what what did you miss the most about mum being away? Um, her cuddles. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and what's your favourite thing about your mum? For everybody listening, some people will never have met your mum. How would you describe your mum? Well, um, she is, I don't really mean this like in a mean way, but she's a bit short. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Jazz, that is brilliant. Um, 
How else would you describe, you know, is she a nice person? Is she funny? You know, what what do we like she's, about mum? She's nice and funny. <laughs> but not very tall. No. And what's your favourite thing to do with your mum? Um, run the dogs, feed the horses, go riding and have it. Now, now spending like nearly the whole day of her at school. Yes. So your mum is your govy at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And, but your mum's still a little bit sick. She's getting better. Yeah. But she still has to go into town. Um, so she's gone with the corona. They're just finishing off with the medicine. Yeah. So she, yep. She's just finishing off the chemo, but she's, um, will probably still have some days where she doesn't feel a hundred percent, but you guys are good at helping look after her and helping look after everything around the homestead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, once our, two big dogs in that lane chocolate, they jumped on her and she fell on her back. Oh, no. But you guys helped her up. The <laughs> willow, she's like, go get Dad. So Dad came and did it. Oh. And when Mum listens to this, do you want to say a, a special message to Mum? Yeah, sure. What would you like to say to Mum? Um, I love you, Mum, and hope you get better. That's all. Awesome. Do you want to – I know you have to go start IDL now, so do you want to go out and you can send um, Willow in? Yeah. Thank you, Jazz. You did a good job. Bye. Hi, Willow. Hi. How old are you, Willow? Seven. Seven? And what year are you in? Two. And where do you live, Willow? Florina Station. And last year – Mummy got a bit sick and she had to go away. What do you remember about last year? Daddy went with her. We had a sleepover in the house and I missed her. What's your favourite thing about Mum? Excuse me, Steph. Mm-hmm. How are you recording this? It's got a, there's a special memory card in the, in this thing. I'll show you afterwards. Okay. Yeah. So what's your favourite thing about Mum? She lets us have steps of her coke. <laughs> She's a nice mum, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. And what's your favourite thing to do with mum? Ride horses. Mm-hmm. Is that what Jess said? Yeah, she said that too. She likes oh. to ride horses. No, that's okay. You guys can say the same thing because you guys both like to ride horses, don't you? Yeah. I wonder what Hunter likes to do. Yeah, we'll have to see what Hunter says next. And... If you want to, do you want to say something to mum when she listens to this? Do you want to send a message to mum? Yeah. What would you like to say to mum? I love you. I have a funny story about it, Joey. <laughs> no, what about mum? Don't talk about mum. That's all right. You're in term one at Catherine's School of the Air this year, right now. And who is your govy? Who's, who's your teacher? Mum and why do we have to be outside? What do you mean outside? We're sitting inside right now. No, when we're not on the microphone. Oh, so that we don't get any um, extra noise. So it's nice and quiet in here for us to make this recording. I was hot out there. Yeah, it's all right. We're almost done. Do you want to just tell everyone what it's like having your mum as your school teacher? Is she a good teacher? <laughs> People, nobody can see you, so you can't just nod, you silly goose. you got to say something. Tell us what mum's like as a teacher. She lets us have breaks and breaks and lets us watch YouTube on the laptops. <laughs>
Awesome. Thank you, Jazz. Shall we go get Hunter inside? I'm not Jazz. Oh, Willow, close enough. You're one of them. Hunter, can you come closer to the microphone? Can you come talk? Yeah. Can you hear your voice? Mm -hmm. What's your name? Hunter. And where are you from, Hunter? A station. Yeah. And what's your station called? Florina Road. Florina Road. And who's your mum? Dirty. Yeah. And what's your favourite thing about your mum? Because I love her. Yeah. What's the best thing about your mum? Um. Mm. Should we make Daddy have a turn on the microphone? Yeah. <laughs> That's the loudest, best response he's given the whole time. So I suppose, I mean, we could have just done, I could have done a whole interview with you pretty much the same as Jodie, but I thought this last bit I'd just do some surprise messages for Jodie for when she first listens to this episode. So what would you like to say about, you know, last year and Jodie and what do you want her to hear? I know last year was a bit of a challenge, so um, I'm glad we're on the final legs of it and, yeah, she's she's starting to come really good, so it's great. <laughs> Jodie, I love you. Um, I'm glad we're finally on the final legs of this. <laughs> <laughs> Typical station manager. <laughs> Put him in front of a microphone and they go very quiet. <laughs> I like to be very quiet at the best of times. Oh, that is such a lie, Dusty Grant. That is such a lie. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.